This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle Podcast and today we have a new guest, Tim Muldoon, who's the author of the book Reclaiming Family Time. And before we go into this further, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Sure. Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, join you today. Uh, I have been a professor of theology for nearly 25 years in various capacities, but also a mission leader. Uh, My writing has been focused primarily on the challenge of developing faith in young adults. And so my work with my wife, Sue, has been dedicated in a particular way to family life, and particularly uh, young families, those who are trying to chart a course for how to raise their children um, with an eye to growing in faith and with an eye to growing in generosity. And so, you know, with her, that also means that since she is uh, the director of family ministries at our parish, that's, that's often meant working directly with parents with the task of catechesis. How is it that we pass on faith to children? So, between my earlier writing, which was directly for young people and this more recent work of, um, you know, reaching out to young families with my wife, you know, that that's been a constant theme through this entire period. Great. And I see you have a a lot of wonderful books and I I must tell people that, you know, you should go out and read Tim and Sue's books because all of them are related to uh, family life. And one of the books that you wrote, uh, Reclaiming Family Time, I, I read on your website that after you wrote the book, you realized that, you know, your whole life was thrown into chaos and then you had to practice what you actually wrote in your book. So how do you know that you need to do this and that something's going wrong with the family time you're spending or that the time you're spending with your family is not really good enough? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the key question. Uh, in order to answer that, I'm going to uh, tell just a, a quick backstory of, of how we came to write this book in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was at the invitation of our editor at Ave Maria Press that had published our first book called Six Sacred Rules for Families. Mm -hmm. And in that book, we had really applied the tradition of Ignatian spirituality to family life, Mm -hmm. uh, in part because that was what I'd written on, uh, you know, with a couple of books uh, earlier. And, uh, you know, it it, it came together. and, And so our editor said, you know, you should really think about something that's more directly about just kind of ordinary family life, you know, and, and so she gave us a couple ideas. And the one that stuck was this one about reclaiming family time. It wasn't really our first idea, but it's the one that, that bubbled up to the top, uh, partly because it was just this kind of sense like, you know what, I'm not sure if we're experts on this, but we would really like to become experts on this. You know, we would like to become the kind of family that does know how to prioritize family time as opposed to, you know, especially work time. And and so much of, you know, the analysis early in the book is just about how we're just overextended, you know, over busy. And, And so the question becomes, well, how then do you actually make a priority of family time? So again, we didn't enter it with the uh, you know strong sense that we know exactly what we're doing. In fact, we kind of offered the disclaimer: we're not, you know, we're we're not the perfect family. No, there is no such thing. I think we struggle. We you know try to balance the things that we have to do as individuals. We try to balance our work life, but more than anything else, we're trying to keep an eye on that big picture question: What is God calling us to do? 
as a mom and a dad who are trying faithfully to do what God asks us in raising these children. And, and I should say, by the way, um, in full disclosure, that all three of our children who are now um, college and high school age, they're all adopted. And so we entered into our parenting with a particular kind of deliberate focus on, you know, what do we do to nurture these children? And we can't assume that they're going to be like us the way that I think some families do make that assumption. So how do we steward the gift of these lives that God has entrusted to us? And, and so again, the specific focus becomes how to use time together and how to use it well, and how ultimately to orient our family life toward the kingdom. Are there any signs that you would see? Like, I mean, it could be that you're sitting in, in, in a living room with your entire family, but everybody's on their own social media or on their own electronic device. So are there any signs that you would say, okay, this, this time that we're spending is not quality enough? Um, because you can tell if you're not spending enough time, but how do you know you're not spending good enough time? Yeah, I mean, th that's uh, an important question. In fact, part of what we're doing in the book is trying to unpack some of the harder questions about social media use. And of course, that's a moving target, you know, so this book is now a couple of years old. And, you know, even in the meantime, things have changed, you know, the ground has, has shifted. So, you know, when, when, and, and we've seen it even within the lifetime of our children. So our oldest is now 21, our youngest is now 17, but, you know, back up a few years. And what we see is that the age at which our oldest daughter got her cell phone, her first cell phone, um, was older than the age at which our youngest, our son, uh, got his cell phone. And, and it's simply because, you know, the, the ground had shifted. Things had changed. Parenthetically, by the way, I would really uh, urge anybody uh, who's listening to this to watch The Social Dilemma, especially if you have teenaged kids. Watch it with your kids. And, and in, that, in that special, it, it does something of what we're doing, which is to ask the hard questions, what ultimately, you know, is, is this environment doing? So, Back to your image, Pamela. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, it, to me, it's a red flag if everybody's on a different device at the same time. I mean, that's, you know, that, that immediately is one of those things that I developed, and I know Sue developed very heightened awareness about, that it's enormously easy to, you know, go to different devices. And so one of the main takeaways um, in this was just simply, okay, what are some of the resources and what are the, some of the ideas that allow us to spot any pattern that might ultimately lead in the direction of fragmenting our family time rather than pulling us together as a family. Usually in all families now, the, a family is supposed to be like a domestic church and every church has some basic rules. So what are some of the rules, uh, at least some of the ones that you have written about that families can take in and apply to their own family? Yeah, and, and I'll mention, again, the, the first book that we read called uh, Six Sacred Rules for Families, in which we, we really unpack these. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, um, th there are six of them. And so, uh, and they're all rooted in the principle and foundation in uh, Ignatian spirituality, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So without you know, giving a lecture, let me just say that, that really the most important theme that runs through these six rules is that family life is, I mean, as, as you used the term a moment ago, it's a domestic church. And that term, of course, comes from the Second Vatican Council, which was a, really a, it, it was an organic growth out of the church's best theology, but it had never been named this way until 
the Second Vatican Council. And, and it was, I think, an important insight that this is not a lifestyle that is kind of second best in the economy of what God is doing in the world. Um, God calls people into families, you know, and so that's, in fact, the first rule that God calls our family together on pilgrimage. And if you get that, then all of the others that we write about in the book really start to line up because the point is that we're not on our own. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if we're, I think in, in a very deliberate way, trying to be mindful of the way that God is calling us to be parents and to be a family, then some of the more practical takeaways, I think, start to make sense. Mm -hmm. and, and again, because it's a moving target, we, we, we shied away from very specific suggestions mm -hmm. in, in um, reclaiming family time. What we were really trying to do was persuade people that leisure is important, you know, that, that, that leisure is, is not, um, you know, kind of a, a selfish thing. It's absolutely critical to the growing of a family life. So, you know, if, if in fact, what God is doing is, is putting, in our case, the five of us into the room together. And in fact, if there's a sixth because my wife's mother also lives with us. Um, and if God is putting us all into the same room, you know, obviously we've got things, you know, the kids have to do homework, you know, we've got to do work, you know, so, so there are specific things that have to be done. But leisure is what we do it for. And by the way, this, this insight comes uh, from Aristotle. And so we even do a little bit of an excursus on, you know, how Aristotle said that, you know, we work in order that we may live. We don't live in order to work, which is how I think, especially as Americans, um, we tend to get it wrong. So our leisure time is, is absolutely critical. So, you know, it, maybe it is just developing some, some patterns from the youngest years of how we have fun together. So in a very real way, the work of holiness unfolds in our leisure time. And the better we get at using it, I think the stronger our family is going to be. And, and frankly, it's gonna be more fun too. So let's say for example, somebody knows that, uh, okay, that we're not spending enough uh, quality time with the family. We're not doing enough together with the children. Um, what steps can we take to now, you know, redirect our course? Well, in my view, part of the answer is just becoming a little bit more aware. Uh, now, in, in a lot of cases, I think parents see this immediately because obviously what we see our kids doing is going to be rather different from the ways that we grew up. And that, you know, it, no matter where we grew up, I mean, you know, I'm not talking just about life in the United States. I'm not just talking about you know, a particular class or racial group. I mean, just times change. Yeah. And, and certainly the most, I think, obvious, not, not even the necessarily the most significant, but certainly the most obvious is going to be that technology question again, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'll use a very concrete example. Um, when, when our oldest daughter was entering the middle school years, you know, we, we were at the time thinking, oh, you know, we're, we're going to be strong. We're going to, you know, make sure that we have all these noble ideas and, and live after them. So, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to give her a smartphone right away. You know, that's, that's going to be a, a bad idea. She's going to get, you know, too hooked on this device and it'll be bad. And what we discovered pretty quickly was that if everybody else in her class has a smartphone and suddenly has a group chat, guess what? She's the one that's left out. Mm -hmm. So there's this massive, and, and there's been a plenty of science around this. So there's, you know, a, a pretty good body of research that points to the way that young people, children, and, and you know, young 
teenagers, young adults, the ways that they behave are shaped in large part by peer interactions. Mm -hmm. And they don't even have to be directly involved in a particular behavior for it to influence them. And that was, you know, that's, that's what happens with, with social media is it doesn't even necessarily matter what device you are holding in your hand or not. It's what your friends are holding in their hand, what they're using, which creates the social pressures, you know? So, so the noble ideas kind of got blown to smithereens pretty quickly and, and so it really started to move to the question, all right, in light of the fact that, you know, technology is moving this way, that, that you know, our, our children's classrooms are moving these directions, what do we do then? How do we start to be very creative about reclaiming our family time? And I think the short answer, one word is vigilance, you know, so you've got to be aware of the opportunities when they present themselves. And I think you have to have a deep toolkit. And by that, I just mean a lot of different options for how to pivot to something interesting. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the most strategic planning. It could just simply be, aha, my daughter is not busy right now. Um, I'm going to take her out and, you know, we're, we're going to go, you know, get a milkshake or, you know, to take her shopping or something. But that kind of, I think, creativity is, is what we are finding tends to be the rule more than the exception. But that said, there are still some of the bigger picture things that you know, we have to be very, you know, in my case, you know, very disciplined about our work schedule uh, so that it doesn't bleed over too much into family time. So you know, again, keeping the priority that this is our vocation, that the family is our vocation. Work may be the way that we live it out, but, but ultimately this is our vocation. So keeping the big picture together with the vigilance of, kind of let's call it the small game. I think those two things together um, at least are, are two ingredients that help us to know how to develop better family time. So what happens if you don't do it? Like you know that you're, you're struggling at work, you have to finish all these deadlines. And then when you finish one, there's another and you don't reclaim this family time. What's the danger to yeah. our families? Yeah, and, and, and that's a hard one because the last thing I wanna do is, is suggest to anybody, hey, you're being a bad parent. Uh, I think many, many people struggle with precisely that tension that you're describing, that uh, you know, work in particular can, can be absolutely all consuming. And I'll even say that, that the terms have changed even again because of the pandemic, you know, because, you know, work can be at any time of the day, literally any time of the day. I mean, that was, that was kind of true before the pandemic, but, you know, as people, you know, many people, not all, but many people, you know, started working from home, um, there was this, you know, delicate, delicate and very fraught balance between, you know, what is actual work time and what is actual family time, you know, so that's really blurred the line. So I don't want to make light of that or suggest that there's an easy solution at all. I will, however, say this. I think a lot of parents experience that tension. And if nothing else, I'm, I'm, I'm very convinced of this. And this is you know, very much uh, the fruit of some of my early work in Ignatian spirituality. I'm convinced that if we're feeling that kind of inner tension of what we most deeply desire, and, and here I'm thinking about, you know, we desire good for our families, and we desire to you know, achieve some competence, let's say, in our professional lives. Um, when we when we experience that kind of tension within ourselves, that is precisely a discernment question. What is ultimately God calling me to? And sometimes, frankly, it, it may mean there's there's a hard decision that needs to be made. And and you know sometimes that decision is maybe I, I need to you know kind of recalibrate my expectations around work, or maybe I need to recalibrate 
my expectations around, you know, like how clean my house is comes to mind or how frequently I get to go to my child's, you know, soccer game or how often I'm able to interact with uh, friends on a regular basis. You know, that, those are all hard. Those are all important things. Those are all good things. So again, I'm just, I'm suggesting that, that this discernment process, while not easy, may ultimately be about uh, an image that I use frequently uh, in my writing on Ignatian spirituality about pruning. So, you know, like you prune a plant or you prune a tree, you might have to cut off something that is in fact life-giving, but in order that there is more life that comes from a direction that is to produce more fruit. And so at the end of the day, uh, part of what we're meditating on is that again, our, our work is important to us, but our work is not our life. Our family is what God calls us to you know, bear the most fruit in. So that's where I think the hard decisions, the hard discernment has to unfold. Uh, I was watching a YouTube video the other day and um, there was a parent who was saying, you know, these recipes are so hard, whatever they're showing us on YouTube, because it takes so much time to cook. And, and another person suggested, well, you know, why don't you incorporate that into your family time and get the kids involved in cooking? And, and so it doesn't become so much of a chore and you are already using that as, as, as family time. So that's one thing, but what can we do once we've reclaimed this family time? What do we do together with these families that we have? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great example, Pamela. I, I appreciate that very much. And it's one, in fact, that, that you know, we ourselves have, uh, have used in, in our own family. So it happens that my son is becoming a pretty darn good cook because you know, we cook <laughs> together. So you know, that's, I, I love that. I think it's a great example. Um, I don't know that there is a blanket answer, but I think you, what you've suggested uh, is, is an excellent example. I'm very much persuaded that parenting is the work of discernment on somebody else's behalf because they're too young to do it for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, at least at least for their early childhood. And by the way, um, our, our our second book is called uh, "The Discerning Parent," which is you know much more focused on that task mm -hmm. of paying very very close attention. So you know, it may be for one child that cooking is the thing. It may be for another child that you know, it's shooting hoops you know, or at the basketball, uh, at the gym or, or just at the park, whatever. Um, and for another, it might simply be that you're reading together. You know, what, whatever it is, uh, I, I think that parents naturally fall into patterns of a kind of indifference. And by that, I mean the willingness to enjoy different things based on whatever it is that the child enjoys. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think that happens on an individual level you know, with, with each child. But I also think that it happens at the level of the entire family. And, and here, just to use one example, you know, those that are able to plan, you know, a long weekend or a week's vacation or something like that, um, asking the question, well, where can we, you know, go or what can we do together that forges our family relationships? You know, what, what can we do that's, you know, not going to be just dragging the kids along to something they're not going to enjoy, but, you know, that, that actually promotes the um, activity of leisure. And, and here again, I'm, I'm relying very heavily on Aristotle's idea that leisure is a certain way of, of um, and his, his term is a being at work. It's, it's, a, it's a way of being in the world. It's not passive. It's not just kind of sitting on the couch and doing nothing. It's an activity. It's it's some kind of shared activity by which we knit our family relationships, you know, more more tightly. So, you know, again, with the work of discernment allows me to to see both on the you know one-on-one -on -one level as well as on the you know whole community of the family level 
what activities are going to be um, the most life giving. And, and, and it's, you know, again, moving target because the kids grow and, and the interests change. The example that we use in our book is that we got really good at day trips. You know, so we live outside of Boston, a lot of great places to, to travel to the ocean, to the mountains. And, you know, so we got really good uh, for a while before my daughters went to college at, um, you know, getting the food ready and getting the car ready and packing things and, and just getting excited about going somewhere interesting, you know, so, so that was for us a really life-giving example. And it took some work, you know, I mean, it, you know, we, we, had, we had done this in different ways over the years, but, you know, by the time they were kind of old and competent enough, we found that it was something that they could really enjoy. And, uh, and we have some great memories, you know, and, and what ultimately is uh, family life about other than creating great memories. And as a follow up to that, um, how much time of that family time should be prayer time or at least, um, you know, building their spirituality time? Yeah. And, and that's uh, a chapter that kind of builds on the basic insight that I just explored. So we do talk about Sabbath, for example, and obviously, you know, that's very much inscribed into the biblical tradition. So, so we're describing Sabbath as uh, a, a particular kind of leisure. In other words, a leisure that is oriented directly to the worship of God. Yeah. And so you know, for, for our family, um, you know, the growing up, that absolutely meant that, yeah, we're going to mass together. We're, we're, we're going to be um, celebrating in that particular way. Mm-hmm. But that also means that we're going to be integrating various types of practices, devotions, you know, celebrations, um, you know, think, think around the big ones like Christmas and Easter, where it's very, very easy, I think, for parents to develop age-appropriate ways of calling to mind, this is who we are, this is what we celebrate. Um, I, I think that's um, necessary. And in fact, it becomes, I think, in the long haul, one of the most important formative processes for young people. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a different conversation, but I'll even make the claim, and I've written about this elsewhere, that uh, even in you know the young adult years, when you know it may be very common for them to be kind of moving off and distancing themselves, maybe from their um, you know their own masculine or their own practices of, of of devotions or faith, that sometimes it's it's those memories of what we do at Christmas, for example, that really tie them very concretely to a particular way of of seeing themselves in the world and of of recognizing you know the things that are most important. So. Uh, so, you know, I think we can get a lot of mileage out of, and it doesn't have to be overly formal, but a lot of mileage out of just, you know, those, those simple kinds of practices and celebrations and memories and devotions and habits that are developed over the course of their, their young lives that give them a sense of orientation in the world. This is, this is who we are. This is what we do. And it's kind of, uh, it will give them an identity that is, that is separate, right? They know that they, they have an identity in Christ. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, that is the hope. And, and I suppose if we were to put this in, you know, kind of relational language, it's that what they learn through the relationships of the family provide probably the strongest analog for their understanding of who God is, right? I mean, so, you know, the biblical images both in the Old and New Testaments, are, are family images. You know, God as father, Jesus our brother. You know, these, these, are, these are family um, images. Um, and, and I don't think that that's, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's, you know, an accident. I think that there's something very deliberate about that. 
that we learn, and, and again, the science is here. We, we know this, you know, the best developmental psychology tells us this, that we know that the ways that human beings develop in the world depends in large part on the kinds of relationships that they develop in their earliest years. Mm -hmm. And again, since we come at this as adoptive parents, we don't take that for granted. You know, we, we have children that in every case spent some part of their lives um, apart from intimate, intimate relationships. So, you know, our, our sense has been, we almost have to overcompensate. We have to almost, you know, uh, go to the other extreme and make sure that they never feel like they will ever be left alone in the world. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, our, our hope is that they understand that, you know, even as good as we can do it, you know, we are just a shadow of what it is that is happening when God loves us. And so, you know, to leave them with that strong sense of, of never being abandoned in the world and always having the ability to turn to Christ and to, um, you know, offer up in prayer, even just the, you know, don't leave me, you know, I need you or whatever it is. That's very much the message that we want to be imparting to our children. So any last words of advice that you have, Tim, for our listeners, especially for young parents? Well, I think I would start with just the observation that if, if you are listening to this, you are already doing the right thing. You already have the desire to grow in your vocation as a parent um, you, you are already in a place of trusting um, what God is doing. You are not doing it all alone. And, you know, and that's an important other point is that, you know, we're not independent contractors with God. I mean, we, we are in intimate relationship with God. And so to, to recognize that and to recognize that, you know, faithfulness to God's message is what, in, in a sense, incites the desire to be good parents uh, then already, you know, your compass is well calibrated. And so following that compass is the work of discernment. It is the work of, you know, vigilantly attending to the persons that your children are becoming. And beyond that, it is the question then, how might we be faithful to the, the task, the role that God has called us to, and uh, to keep the priority of reclaiming and using the time we have as a family, especially mindful that it's limited. Uh, and I'll say for my last word, Pamela, that, um, you know, I mentioned that our youngest is now a junior in high school. Clock is ticking for us. You know, we're going to be sending him off to college in, in less than two years. Yeah. And suddenly we're empty nesters, you know. So it, this is the point at which we say, yeah, it kind of does go quickly, even though it feels very slow at times. In the rearview mirror, it feels like it goes very quickly. So um, keeping mindful that, that this is a task that God has entrusted to us for only a part of our lives, I think, helps us to be mindful um, that God will lead us in the direction that, uh, that will bring forth the most fruit. Great. That was awesome. So, Tim, where can people find you and your books online? Well, um, your favorite bookseller, uh, you can find them on Amazon, um, but uh, the, the, the trilogy, as it were, of the books on family spirituality are Six Sacred Rules for Families, The Discerning Parent, and Reclaiming Family Time. Um, you can just Google Tim and Sue Muldoon for those three titles. Great. And if people want to get in touch with you, and if you're on social media, where can they find you? Yep, uh, I am on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, and in fact, there is a Facebook page for Tim and Sue Muldoon. Um, alternatively, you know, if, if people just want to contact me through my um, role uh, at Boston College, they are welcome to do so. Um, and I'll look forward to carrying on the conversation then. Great. So thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today and uh, wish you all the best and your, your kids as they're preparing for college. Thanks so much, Pamela. God bless. Mm -hmm.